Hi everyone, welcome to ETS on the Grid. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Today we have a very special treat. As you may or may not know from following us, lead research analyst Aaron Hardick and director of research programs Aaron Otan recently embarked on an ambitious road trip across West Texas to test the capabilities, limits, and culture of an electric vehicle. So they saddled up in a Tesla and set out not only to drive a cool car, but to talk to prominent utility figures in the state to learn more about their EV programs. I got the opportunity to talk to them on the road, and you'll hear that conversation shortly, but stay tuned after because Aaron and Aaron also snagged a phone interview with Ashley Horvat, Vice President of Public and Private Partnerships at Greenlots and active EV owner and advocate, which we have included in the episode. So without further ado, my conversation with Aaron and Aaron, mid-drive. Right now, my co-host Aaron Hardick and our Director of Research Programs, Aaron Otan, are on the road in a shiny Tesla for an EV road trip to test the limits of electric vehicles on Texas highways and to meet with prominent figures in energy within the state. Before their next stop, they're here today on the podcast. How's it going, ladies? It's going pretty well, Dylan. We are driving from Marfa, Texas to Van Horn, Texas. We're actually on the lowest charge we've been on so far. We have 64 miles left of range, um, and we have about 30 miles to travel. So we're going to get to our destination with about 8% battery left. So we'll definitely have to charge because we need to make it all the way to El Paso today. And that's going to be another 80 to 90 miles once we get to Van Horn. So we're kind of cutting it close, but it's been fun so far. Yeah, it's been fun. We've made it past Marfa now from Austin without any any issues whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed that, that we make it the next 30 miles. I, th- I think we will. I'm pretty confident we'll be okay. Uh, so what have, you do- what have you done so far? Uh, who have you met? So far we've talked to a few Tesla owners. Um, the first two, char- er, two of the five charging stations we've charged at had two other Tesla owners. One gentleman was with his wife and they were actually driving across country from California to Florida in their Tesla. Uh, And the other people we talked to was a family who's actually based out of San Antonio and they were just doing uh, a road trip to West Texas. But they had told us a story about how they had driven, I think, to like Kansas and and then down to Florida, so another veteran road trip family. Um, we've talked to a few non-electric vehicle owners. They haven't had too much to say about EVs. We talked to two gentlemen that were on motorcycles uh, out in Fort Stockton, gave them a look inside the Tesla. They were pretty impressed with the car, but pretty much all of the non-EV owners we talked to haven't or don't currently have plans to purchase an EV. So what is the the goal of this road trip? What What's kind of the point you're proving or the, the tests you're conducting? Well, it's really just a research trip. Um, you know, we want to see what the charging infrastructure is like throughout the state of Texas. Texas is such a big state. I mean, from Austin to El Paso is about 10 hours driving and and Austin's already in Central Texas, so if you're starting in East Austin or East Texas, you know it's a lot of ground to cover. Um, so we want to see what the charging infrastructure is like. We also want to talk to people um, who are already EV owners, who are non-EV owners, just you know the general public to to sort of check the pulse on the general sentiment around EVs. Um, and then we're also talking with different utilities. Um, executives just to, to hear more about their programs and, and how electric vehicles are, uh, the role that they're playing and the goals of their utility and what plans they have for the future. So what were some of your concerns going into this week and have any of them popped up yet? You mentioned that you're about to get to your next charging station by the skin of your teeth. Yes, I mean, of course, you know, range anxiety is always going to be a big when you're driving an electric car, especially on road trips. But we haven't run into that. We haven't had the problem of running out of charging, I say, as we're getting low on charging. 
we haven't really run into that issue, but we've definitely, you know, experienced some range anxiety just, you know, thinking about like, will we actually make it because we're still kind of unsure how other things contribute to the battery life of the vehicle. Like how much does running the air conditioning decrease the efficiency? If we have things, our phones plugged in, does that also draw from the battery? And then I would say, at least from my perspective, the other concern I had, which I guess we are experiencing, is getting the general public, especially in some of these West Texas towns, to talk to us about electric vehicles or even be willing to discuss them. We actually, yesterday, were accused of being part of the NSA. I walked up to a gentleman who was pumping gas in his pickup truck, and I asked him, you know, what he knew about electric vehicles. He didn't have much to say. And the gentleman who was at the state, the, the pump next to him said something along the lines of, why are you asking that? Are you part of the NSA? Are you trying to track where everybody's going? And I simply just was like, no, sir. We just wanted to understand his the sentiment around electric vehicles. We're not part of the NSA. So there's definitely this stigma around, you know, EVs and I don't want to say technology, but kind of this technology that's not part of their everyday life. I think I think out here in West Texas, too, it seems like a lot of people just have no idea what they even are. Um, I mean, the, the man we talked to in the pickup truck yesterday, I don't think he really knew what an electric vehicle was and what we were even asking him about. Uh, so there's definitely a lot more, you know, a lot more education is needed. Um, you know, I think hopefully more campaigns like what we're doing. That's interesting to me that uh, they just straight up didn't know what an electric vehicle was. I guess we spend a lot of time hearing about it in our sphere that it can, you know, it it kind of hides the fact that they're still they're still relatively new and considered luxurious. So a lot of people probably, yeah, probably haven't heard about that. One thing that definitely contributes to this is, you know, the very rural environment. So the gentleman who was fueling up his pickup truck, he'd only bought it two years ago. And I asked him if he had considered buying an electric vehicle. And he said, you know, no, not at all. A lot of the people that live out in West Texas and these small towns and small cities, use their cars for very utility purposes, going long ways, moving equipment, and electric vehicles don't really have makes and models that do that. So from the city, from people who live in the city, we we see a lot of electric vehicles. You even see commercials about them sometimes. But out here, that's just not what the people need. And so it's just not as prevalent to them at all because it doesn't really serve the purpose that a vehicle needs to serve. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of talking to people about electric vehicles, you also uh, popped over to San Antonio on your way on your way out of Austin. Uh, what did you learn there about there about EVs there? Yeah, San Antonio was our first stop. We actually were invited by CPS Energy to park in their employee parking lot. And they have a charge point um, station there that we were able to charge at while we were there. Um, we learned a little bit about about their program. They actually, Jason Scarlett, who we talked to, actually worked um, on the program to get the charge point chargers installed in the city. Um, so it's you know a, a utility program. Um, I also learned that. It takes a long time to charge on a charger like that. We were sitting in that parking lot for um, about three hours charging and got, what, maybe 20% charge? Maybe Jeez. 20%, but that being said, we were also sitting in the car doing interviews, running the AC, so it wasn't completely idle and charging. We were drawing from the battery as we were charging, but still, it was taking a while. Yeah, you think about that couple that's going from California to Florida, and if they have to charge for two out two three well, hours every time. So that's the caveat, um, and we are lucky to be driving and doing this this trip in a Tesla. 
so Tesla has a much more robust infrastructure, um, I guess, all over the country. I'm really only, you know, familiar with Texas so far, but uh, Texas ha or Tesla has um, more chargers. And they also have the superchargers. They have a pretty big network of, a super, of superchargers, and you can get a full charge in about 30 minutes with a supercharger. So um, it's definitely much more challenging to do something like this in a, you know, a Nissan Leaf or a Chevy Volt, something that's not a Tesla. The chargers aren't compatible? So you can, a, a level two charger, you can put an adapter on for the Tesla and you can charge your Tesla via that little adapter. Um, but no, there are about five to six different types of chargers and charging ports within electric vehicles. So they have different types of hookups. So no, you can't use all the chargers just because you have an electric vehicle. You have to go to a certain type of charger to make sure that it will charge the car that you have. So there's level one chargers and level two chargers Level two will charge you faster. Level one, I believe, is pretty similar to just hooking your car up to a standard like wall socket. So I think that's about 120 volts. And then level two is about 240 volts, I think, which would be similar to plugging into uh, like a washer and dryer hookup in your home. So I've definitely learned this is what Jason Scarlett taught us. Um, he was very helpful actually printed out Tesla road trip tips and had a little section of charging on there. So I've learned we've learned a lot about the different types of chargers, how long it takes to charge on the different types of chargers, and that if possible you want to use a supercharger. Dylan, you mentioned that family doing the long road trip. Um they they had no no range anxiety whatsoever. So I think that you know, as people learn more about electric vehicles and get used to driving them, um, I think you you get a lot more confident um, in, in how far you can go and just how similar to a gas car they really are. Um, but, yeah, actually, both, both Tesla owners that we talked to, um, you know, they were extremely comfortable, um, had had their Tesla for a couple of years, and were very happy with them. It does seem like planning does a really good job of relieving range anxiety. So the idea is you want to try to stay at a place that maybe has a level one or level two charger that you can charge your car overnight. And then for your stop during the road trip, you just try to hit those superchargers. So you're only stopping for about 20 to 30 minutes. You're not stopping at a level two charger during the middle of the day and waiting you know, five hours to charge. If you can, you know, plan appropriately, which the Tesla network really helps you do, then it does a very good job of, yeah, relieving your range anxiety and you're just having a very similar experience to driving a traditional ICE vehicle. Yeah, that, that I, I just learned a lot right there because I, I didn't realize that I didn't realize the levels of charging. I didn't realize that different ki kinds of electric cars use different chargers. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right that, that that's all something that gets easily dealt with once you, once you have, once you purchased the car and you're planning all this out. Uh, but I will say that does like, that was a, that was a five minute answer on how to char on how to charge the car as opposed to a gas vehicle where it's you go to the you go to a gas station you don't even have to think about it when you're planning out your trip. Well, there are a lot of applications out there that make planning pretty easy. So you can download the charge point app that will tell you where different types of chargers are. You can download the plug share app which will tell you where different types of chargers are. And then you can also use the Tesla network which will tell you where just Tesla chargers are. So it's actually not that labor-intensive to plan out the trip. You just download these apps and kind of as you're going, you snap out your chargers. It's, it's really not too hard. But the other thing is the trade-off of time at the gas station, sure, it does not take 20, 30 minutes to pump gas, but 
most of our stock that superchargers hasn't been more than five dollars and fifty cents. So you're sacrificing time, but you're saving money, certainly. I think that's part of the education piece that we were talking about earlier. Um, like Aaron mentioned, it's it's really not that inconvenient to plan and and yes, once you once you learn about the different types of chargers and know what type of car yours requires, then you know, it's not a it's not a super steep learning curve. You just need to learn it one time and and yeah, the actual planning the stops has really not been an issue for us. They've worked out pretty well. Most of the time it's you know, you wanna stop for twenty, thirty minutes, just grab a quick bite to eat while your car is charging and get back in the on the road. That does make a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, next on your trip, you're going to you're going to El Paso. Uh, what are you going to be doing there? We're going to be talking to Tony Reyes, who's an engineer with El Paso Electric. Um, he works on their electric vehicles program, um, and so we're just going to be talking to him, hearing hearing about the program, hearing what he's working on, and he's also offered to um, show us their operations room. Um, so we're really excited in there. Yeah, we're going to the it's their East Side Operations Center, and then going to hopefully going to check out one of their community solar installations. So not just talking about EVs, but looking at how the utility is kind of controlling all these different types of distributed assets in their service territory: EVs, solar. So we're really excited. Are you going to take in a little bit of El Paso life while you're there too, or is it just going to be in and out? Um, neither of us have ever been to El Paso, so we might walk around and you know check out check out the downtown area, see what what there is. But we actually are not staying there tonight. We're hitting the road again, so we can uh, be closer to our next destination, which is Midland um, tomorrow morning. So I think we're going to be staying in Van Horn, Texas tonight. Which we actually just pulled into, but yeah, unfortunately, we kind of had to cut down the length of the trip, and so we're not going to be staying in El Paso, which uh oh, which originally was the plan. Well, this is some live action, so we just are about we're about two miles outside of what I guess you could consider downtown Van Horn, and there is an eighteen wheeler completely perpendicular to the highway. We have 8% battery left. <laughs> nobody is moving. And we're not quite sure what to do. And there's a cop sitting right there. I'm not sure if I can go. Oh, he's waving us around. All right. All right. We're off-roading. Well. You can talk on the phone in Texas, right? Yeah, I'm holding the phone anyway. Non-driver is talking on the phone. <laughs> Perfect. Um. I won't have time to check out the Centennial Museum. Not this time. Maybe on our next road trip where we stop at libraries and museums. Yes. Yeah, we we keep running into these really cute li public libraries in each town that we stop in and some really interesting looking museums along the way that we haven't had a chance to check out. But we definitely want to do an do another trip where we make more stops. We stopped at the Lyndon B. Johnson Museum when we were in Johnson City, and it was actually really interesting. They had this uh, they had this display in there of the first Model T that he drove, and the title of the display was <laughs> Mobility and Politics, and it was a Model T, and I just thought, you know, that was kind of hilarious that they referred to that as, you know, Mobility and Politics, because... You could arguably say the same thing about EVs in the current mobility environment. Yeah, that's. I think that's why they named them after old those old Ford cars. Definitely trying to draw that parallel. Um, so obviously, the final verdict will come when the trip is over. But just in, some in, initially, has your experience so far convinced you or taught you anything about the viability of electric vehicles in Texas? Definitely that. I would love to own a Tesla. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think for sure um, it's, they're definitely viable in Texas. Like I said before, I think it would be difficult, um, you know, at least a statewide road trip like we're on on 
in a different car that didn't have as long a range and took longer to charge. But even for for just city driving, I think even, um, you know, the shorter range vehicles would be perfectly viable because one person we talked to said uh, that owning an electric vehicle, you basically wake up every morning with a full tank of gas because you're, you're able to charge it overnight and, and have that full power. So, yeah, I think for city driving, it's a very reasonable purchase, you know, when we're in San Antonio and more of the populated metropolitan environments they are viable but i don't think that out here in west texas uh it still is a very good option just because you know going back to the lifestyle that these people out here are living driving a lot the infrastructure just isn't here yet for them to comfortably do that and order and also without having to put a charging station in their home which is expensive and requires a lot of upfront capital so I think in, yeah, the metropolitan areas and the people who are commuting maybe out here. So when we were at PEC, uh, Julie Parsley, the CEO, she mentioned that there are a few employees that commute from Tripping Springs and Marble Falls. Um, and then they charge their EVs once they get to PEC all day, and then they drive home in their EVs. However, PEC only has three electric vehicles in their fleet, and that's because their service territory is 8,100 square miles. So you can't really drive around the whole service territory in an electric vehicle in a time-efficient manner. Um, so, and yeah, downtown areas, yes, and maybe for commuting, but I don't know about, you know, some of these small towns out here that we're stopping in. I don't think that the viability is quite there yet. And, don't think it will be for maybe five to ten years or so. One, uh, one, one last question. I'm just curious. Uh, how does it drive? Oh, both Aaron and I are like, we don't want to go back to our car. It's amazing experience. The design of this vehicle, yeah, just the way it drives, I feel like I'm like speechless. I don't know. Until you do it, you don't really understand how fluid and easy and intuitive it is. Yeah, I definitely agree. I felt comfortable, you know, within the first few minutes of driving it. Yeah, and I have to admit, you know, I feel very safe in this car. Um, all the features that it has and, you know, assisted driving and autopilot, it brakes so much quicker than a traditional ICE vehicle. It accelerates so much quicker than a traditional ICE vehicle. So Paula Gold Williams actually made a good point. She herself is an EV driver, you know. Sometimes when you're in, you know, a downtown area and maybe you're at risk of getting hit in a situation and you need to accelerate quickly, an electric vehicle is going to accelerate so much quicker than a traditional ICE vehicle. So there's a lot of safety built into these vehicles that a lot of people don't realize. I know that Teslas for the past two years have been the safest cars um, on the National Highway Safety Test because of all of these features. So it's a very fun experience. And personally, yeah, I feel you know very comfortable and safe in this car, which I think is very important. And speaking of that, we just pulled into the Van Horn Tesla supercharging station with 26 miles <laughs> left to go. Hey, you made it. Uh, I'm glad we can have a have a happy ending to the podcast we had we had a we had a dramatic twist with the with the semi <laughs> crash but it looks like our heroes have pulled through uh well thank you both for uh giving me an update on your trip i hope you enjoy the rest of your uh the rest of your summer trip yeah thanks dylan thanks for uh you know giving us something to do for 30 minutes in the car we've been having some long stretches of, of road so it's good to have someone someone else to talk to and someone from Z Prime checking in on us. So thank you. Yeah, and I'm just gonna drop this in here during the closing. We also saw a UFO in Marfa. Literally an unidentified flying object. It was this white blimp looking thing. It definitely wasn't a blimp though. It had like these streams coming down. We're convinced it was a science research project, maybe a large drone but it was definitely an unidentified flying object. No markings on it, just a white thing floating in the middle of nowhere, Texas, 
open plains, no houses, no nothing, just this very large white thing floating. So there are aliens of Martha. <laughs> it's probably it's probably Elon's drone making sure you're making his car look good. <laughs> we were concerned that it was following us for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, don't get abducted while you're out there, because we we will need you guys back next week to report on all this tripping. Now we have Aaron and Aaron's interview with Ashley Horvat, Vice President of Public and Private Partnership at Greenlots, and also an EV road trip veteran herself. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much and for kind of just calling in on the fly too. But we really wanted to hear about your experience because you mentioned in back in 2011 you did a similar trip but obviously technology was not what it is now you didn't have a tesla with superchargers to stop yeah so so what can you just tell us a little bit about what you did yeah and and by the way i'm following your twitter stuff and um i'm noticing like even when you have a tesla especially in you know some of the rural, more remote areas, there's still sort of like you have to be extremely vigilant about, you know, where you're going, where you're staying for your hotel, does it have charging, do you need to do, you know, public charging or rely on destination charging. So even with a Tesla, it still requires planning, you know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, as far as my, my, like, experience doing road trips, I mean, a lot of the same technologies that I used back then are the, still pretty much the same technologies that people are using today. Um, so fast forward from like 2011 to 2019, I mean, it's still mostly 50kW. I mean, we're getting more of the high power charging, but most of the existing infrastructure that people are relying on now are still pretty much the same. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like the first trip that I did was um, basically the whole corridor of Interstate 5 through Oregon, which I think is 300 or so miles. Um, and uh, it was definitely a struggle. <laughs> I was telling you guys on text about uh, one of the trips that I did with my colleague when I was working for the um, Department of Energy and then the DOT was she was actually acting as my windshield wiper because the car was in turtle mode. (laughs) No joke, in Oregon, um, in a a downpour. Um, So that was terrifying. And, uh, yeah, we definitely had just the right amount of charging that we needed to get to each station, but I think... You know, when you're driving an EV, you kind of have to think about, am I using air, am I using heat, you know, um, all those different things. Like, my husband would joke, you're living in the pioneer era in, like, 2011, and you can't even use, like, air. So, I mean, we've definitely come a long way, a longer way. I mean, we've got longer-range beds, like the Bolt and, and other options, and then there's definitely more charging infrastructure. So, like, I think the key thing is not just having the one station in the community. So, like, if you guys were relying on one and you pulled up and for whatever reason that wasn't working, I mean, luckily Tesla is pretty reliable. Um, but it's still pretty bare bones if you think about, like, scaling the number of cars you need. So, um, yeah, and then, like, another road trip I did, I did do a road trip in a Tesla from Sacramento um, to Portland, which was awesome. I got to bring home a company car. I had a Tesla when I worked at PlugShare. Um, and I did some hiking along the way there, and then I drove a Kia Soul Easy 800 miles, um, and I did it up and down the Oregon coast, and then all around I-5, and, and kind of stopped at charge with a reporter, and sent some NPR reporters um, alone, and some, a Sunset Magazine reporter did it alone as well. I sent them with, with a car, so it's it's fun driving in an EV, but it definitely requires planning, unfortunately. So. That's awesome. So you're you're an EV road trip veteran. Um, how many yeah. miles does the, does the Soul get, just out of curiosity? So I haven't driven one in a while, but at the time it was better than the Leaf in terms of miles because it, it, it had the purported number of miles and it was close to 90 or so, like actual real miles. But the thing with the, the Kia Soul was it was more true to form. So like when you're driving and you see the miles, unlike the Leaf at the time, you didn't have to sort of do like internal calculations as far as, is that correct? Like, is it actually, you know, 70 miles that I have, or is that 70 miles in the city? So I liked the Soul because it was definitely more accurate. Like I, I had a somebody in a Nissan Leaf trailing me and they would show up to the charger 
after I would get there and they would always be super stressed and I was just fine. You know, I had like just the right amount of um, juice left. Like I know you guys have been reporting on your percentages and everything and you kind of get used to like what level of comfort you have. And I, I think one of your trips, you were talking about 7% that I've been to like, you know, lower than that. But once you get below that 10% threshold, that's kind of when your um, concern starts to kick in. Yeah, certainly. So we had uh, our first case of, of real range anxiety yesterday when we were leaving Midland. We thought that we were going to arrive at our next destination with about 19%, but after we had gone about 20 minutes east on 20, we realized that we were going to arrive with 7%. And like you mentioned, it's kind of hard to tell what exactly impacts the, the range of the car. So. We didn't necessarily trust that 7% to be true. We didn't know if maybe right. that would drop to 4% or 3% when we got, you know, halfway to our destination. So we had, we decided to turn back around because I think, like you mentioned, 10% was really our threshold, is really our threshold, and we didn't really drop below that until that's what it projected us to. We had to turn back around and hit the supercharger because I don't, I looked at Aaron panic fear in my eye. <laughs> We're turning back around. <laughs> oh, that's right. I know. And, and you guys are in like a Tesla too, which Tesla's pretty good at being accurate. But I mean, the, the Tesla chargers are very strategically located. So it's like if you miss them, you know, you're kind of um, in a, have a little bit of an issue. Um, so, and they yeah, have, you know, the most, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, like, it's interesting because as I was following you guys, I think the funny thing is, like, when I did my road trips in Oregon and then I also did, um, we had we had a big event up at the border with Canada. Um, it was called the Peace Arts Rally. And it was the first, you know, we had the first uh, basically large amount of cars driving up Interstate 5 through California, Oregon, and Washington. And then we all met at the uh, border with Canada and did a big rally and I had my grandma come with me on part of the stretch, and she drove my leaf. And um, she was like going so fast because she was loving it. She's like, "Oh, this is so," because she's, you know, she's like, she drives the Lincoln Navigator, or she did at the time, and she just, you know, she wasn't exactly like the EV market adopter. Um, but she was driving. I'm like, "You're going too fast. Like you're, gonna, you're gonna mess up my range." Um, so she was loving the, the, the car itself, but she was, like, eating up the range. So I tried to go on this big campaign, like, telling people not to call it range anxiety and call it range awareness because I didn't want people to have that anxiety. I mean, like, it's definitely real, but it's more you just have to be a little bit more aware of it than you would otherwise in a regular car as to where, you know, your charging is going to be or, like, instead of your gas station. I like that term, range awareness, because I, yes. I think that's it does more accurately describe the way we've accounted for range, you know, just like being more aware, what are we leaving with, what are we going to arrive with, what is our comfort level, and then I guess it really only becomes anxiety if it drops below your comfort level, but if you're yeah. aware of what's going on, then it's not, so there's kind of like the threshold that has to hit now, when I think about it, yeah. it becomes anxiety versus, oh, I'm just more aware. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, the other thing that's interesting, too, is, like, you guys are picking places, I noticed, like, with eating and stuff like that based on where the charging is, which is a good argument for, you know, businesses as to, like, hosting chargers. But then at the same time, like, when I've done my road trips, um, I worked with the tourism agency in Oregon to create um, what we called Oregon Electric Byways. And we would recommend places for people to go along those routes that weren't necessarily always where the chargers were. Um, but I think that's, like, the important thing, too, is being able to, you know, drive in an EV long distances but still be able to go where you want to go. And it doesn't always have to have a charger there. But if you can kind of figure out, okay, these little, like, hole-in-the-wall places that you want to eat at or, you know, a hike you want to do or anything like that where you can still do it with charging, um, you know, that's the ideal. Because some of the locations where it's the cheapest, best, like, most economical, all the power, like, requisite power there isn't always the most ideal from a tourism perspective. Um, so those are like the types of things that I think about, but I think there's like ways to create kind of itineraries for people where they still get to try, you know, the cool spots that might not be able to host a charger because they don't have enough parking. Yeah, that's a good point because a lot of the superchargers are just located along the highway, but luckily with a supercharger, 
you know, it's only a 15-minute stop, and then you have plenty of mileage to kind of go off the beaten path. Which is actually exactly what we did. We went and visited Balmeray State Park, and we didn't yeah. charge there. We just, we just made a stop. It was in between our, I believe, Van Horn. We slept in Van Horn, charged there, got a full charge, stopped in Balmeray, had about 50% battery left, and then headed up to Pico's. Um, yeah. back on kind of the I-20 corridor because Valerie is off of I-20. But it was like 50, 40 miles detour. Yeah, it was definitely a detour, but not too far out of the way. Um, and it was definitely, you know, a tourist attraction. Yeah, Aaron, right. only, only the biggest reason we went is Aaron had read about this kind of cool, natural, like, watering hole that they made into a community pool, so we really wanted to see it. Accounted for okay, if we get a full charge here and we can stop here and then go get another full charge at this next stop without having to actually charge in Valkyrie. Yeah, I liked Aaron. I, so I forget who tweeted it, but it was something about um, Aaron having your state park uh, pass, which is <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, um, I did. What's that? I just said, oh yeah, the, our my my passport that I unfortunately left at home. Didn't, <laughs> yeah, you can plan for next time. I love. I'm I'm such a sucker for passports. Um, yeah, I uh, we did a thing. I worked with Travel Oregon. We were trying to help the state of California to think about like what their tourism would be like, and so we partnered with Nissan and we did this road trip with the Nissan Leaf in California, and we went. Um, to a, stopped at a brewery, uh, um, but then, like, of course, we're not driving after that. But um, the next day, we went to Point Reyes Lighthouse, and um, we were like making our way up to the lighthouse, and it's a, it's it's going uphill or up, you know, and there's cows and everything, and we literally had to turn around because we couldn't make it to the lighthouse because the charger wasn't working in the town um, at the bottom, like, so we couldn't make it to our destination. So that was like, we, you know, gave me a report and everything like that. But yeah, going at those little offshoot locations, you have to make sure, you know, the charging works. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think it was cool to see you met with El Paso Electric and I saw you had all the nerdy data and everything. It's good to see that they're kind of tracking that Um, because I think utilities are definitely going to be a huge part of making sure those gaps are filled. I mean, one of the biggest reasons we're making this documentary is to, you know, show our experience driving this car. But another large portion of it, like you just mentioned, is talking to utilities, trying to find out what their plans are around electric vehicles, what adoption is like in their service territory, kind of how they're going to account for that moving forward. And the, and the other part is kind of trying to gauge public sentiment around electric vehicles, you know, so we've walking up to just random people and asking them, when you hear, when you hear the word electric vehicle, what is the first thing that comes to mind? And we've just had, you know, answers that are all over the spectrum, but from your experience, like, what do you, how do you think people currently perceive electric vehicles, both from, you know, the public, just um, residential adoption, and then also how Yeah, I mean, I think the general population, I think it's interesting, too, because when you go to charge at the fast chargers, I remember when I would charge, there would be, like, people that would come around and ask me questions about it in the beginning. It doesn't happen as much anymore, and I do think it's probably because normal people, I guess you could say, that aren't EV drivers have seen it enough to where it's not maybe as much of a novelty in most areas to where they would actually come up to a stranger and ask questions because I think there's like some things in life where people it's just such a barrier breaker like it's such a conversation starter and I still think it's definitely like that but um but I think public charging like helps open that conversation but I think like the perception of people for EVs varies but the, the nice thing about a Tesla is I think you know the strategy that Tesla had which was to say to start off with you know the Roadster and kind of come out and show all that electric vehicle can be even though it's expensive it's like starting out from the highest level and then working down from there to mass adoption has worked really well because most people know what Tesla is and it's kind of like this exciting thing and a lot of, there's some detractors, but most people think it's a really great car, you know, and and regardless of whether it's an EV or not. So I think that's the key. Um, I think, you know, obviously in Texas especially, and I've been traveling to like Oklahoma and Tennessee and all these kind of places that have more longer distances, people that live in you know, more rural areas and trucks and all these other things that the current EVs don't offer. 
So I think like with companies like Rivian and, and others, you know, they're going to be coming out with trucks. I think that's really going to change um, the perception. I, I mean, there's probably still, there's obviously still negativity, but I think, um, you know, in terms of the, the regular population, uh, I think it's just more understanding like all the choices that are available. And I think the tough part too is like, when you, people are purchasing a new car, it doesn't happen very often, right? I think people, like, on average keep their cars for about 10 years. So it's a really, like, critical point to get um, the awareness because you never know when that car purchase is going to kind of, like, that cycle is going to happen. Um, so it's definitely going to take some time to replace, you know, the current population of, of vehicles. But um, And then in terms of, like, just the corporate perception of it, I mean, I, I found it really interesting meeting with, like, different utilities, I think, the key for especially a state like Texas that's so large is figuring out how to create this really robust EV, you know, landscape with varying utilities where people are like driving through different utility territories and they don't necessarily recognize those boundaries. Like they don't care if they're in El Paso territory or, you know, CPS, like as far as they're concerned, they just want to make sure they have charging. So I think it's going to require cooperation between utilities, you know, as, as well as like regions of the state. Yeah, you mentioned most people knowing Tesla and what they do and who they are. Um, so we, another detour we made was to a small town called Iran, Texas. I think oh, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, the population is about a 1,000 people, and we literally just went there because we saw, we found on the PlugShare app um, this little place called the Iran Energy House, and they had a level 2 charger, and... We were just really interested and wanted to check it out. Um, so we went there. Um, it was not a supercharger, so, you know, we had to leave uh, leave the car and go, you know, waste some time. <laughs> we explored the town. We found a fun little park that we went to. We got some coffee. Um, so we were, we were gone for a couple hours. When we came back to the car, there was another car um, just kind of parked close to it. And then when we... You know, by the time we unplugged and got ready to go, this kid had come up to us. So he and his mom had literally just been sitting there in their car waiting for whoever was charging this Tesla to come back. He was about 10 oh, years nice. old. Um, he came up to us and he asked if we could, if he could take a picture of the car. And oh. so we opened it. Yeah, we showed him. You know, we let him get in and kind of showed him the car. And then we just talked to him. We asked him, um, you know, what he knew about Tesla and... And he knew that they they made electric vehicles. They were safer for the environment. Um, and he even knew that there were multiple models, which was crazy because you think about this kid who grew up in this West Texas town of a thousand people knows that knows the Tesla brand, knows that they make multiple models of environmentally friendly cars. That's awesome. So, yeah. yeah. So that's so cool. The future future of EV drivers is bright. Yeah, I think that yeah, the awareness exactly. now is. Is a big deal. We also talked to another gentleman who was charging. We were charging, and he had his two sons with him, and they both were, you know, big Tesla fans, the two boys were. So all the kids we've talked to about the car are so enthusiastic about it and so interested in what they are, and everyone of them we've asked, you know, would you want to buy one of these when you grow up? And they're like, absolutely, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So we just need the automakers to kind of have that patience. I know, I mean, I think the younger people, I mean, like, that gives me so much hope. I'm like, okay, this is good. But I think the younger people really, it's interesting because I know we've talked about mobility and, like, kind of shifts in, in behavioral patterns and, like, buying patterns. It'll be interesting to see, you know, I mean, there's, like, predictions about people not owning cars and everything and whether that bears out any truth. I mean, I've seen some recent data that actually shows millennials are, are actually like doing exactly what their forebears did like moving into suburbs and um you know needing garages and needing cars um so it'll be interesting to see kind of like what the future holds with mobility but like with young people it's funny that you say that because i um there was a tesla there's teslas like all around seattle area where i live and there was a tesla in front of me and um i was in our lease and no joke, the kid did not even look at my car, <laughs> but he, he he was walking home from school and it was like, he, just, you know, that meme that has like the girl that the guy looks at and he, he's with his girlfriend. It was like that meme. He, 
because he looked at the Tesla and he had his headphones in and he was walking home from school and he literally gave this Tesla like the most double take. And I mean, they're everywhere. Like a couple of the kids walking behind him didn't really look because their parents probably have one. But um, like I see that with teenagers where they love Tesla. Then when I used to drive the plug share, when I worked for plug share, I drove, you know, the company Tesla. And I would just get looks from kids like all the time, teenagers, you know, like 12 year old young kids. So, yeah, I love I love that effect on, on like, with the Tesla is awesome. Ashley, we are absolutely going to have that meme made right now for you. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. That obviously is, like, the perfect analogy. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, and I was, like, hanging my head really low in the leaf, like, damn, I don't, I don't get that, like, look anymore, and I'm jealous. But, yeah. So I'm hoping like <laughs> you don't look at me like that. Yeah, when I used to drive the Leaf in Oregon, I was like one of very few. So I swear I knew everybody, and I would like wave to them, and I knew. And then it, I started to get this like sadness when I stopped knowing everybody that was driving an EV. But then I got happy because I'm like, okay, that means that we're actually making progress. Can you? You're part of a group actually um, in, is it, I think Portland, where um, you had an event in. Portland recently that was specifically around women in EVs. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that group and what y'all do? Yeah, yeah. I started Women in EVs in Portland when I was living there. Um, it was just me and three women. We decided we got together for drinks to kind of talk about some issues that we were having and, and just kind of like sexism issues and just feeling like there weren't enough women in the industry. And so we decided to start this, and then it just really started out organically and small, and then it just kept growing, and I had people joining from all over the world. Like, I had uh, one of our earlier events, people from came from Japan and Denmark and all of these different places to come to our event, so we realized, like, I realized, like, how much, you know, um, women were interested in it, so... Um, we're up to about 400 members now, but it's continuing to grow. And so this year we held our summit, um, and there was about 165 women that came, and it was amazing. The energy in the room was so positive. We had the CEO of Portland General Electric, Maria Pope, um, speak, and then some, a couple women from Mercedes, um, one of the heads, the head of compensation for Mercedes. And so we're definitely seeing more and more women, you know, working in the EV industry. I think there's been some recent reports, like, that I wasn't happy with um, uh, come out, at, like, kind of questioning women's investment in EVs and kind of looking at the numbers of um, women who have actually adopted EVs as a proxy for their interests. And I don't think that women aren't interested in it. In fact, there's, like, a ton of investment in terms of intellectual investment and monetary investment um from women that are really passionate about um you know making sure that this is successful and i think you guys are a testament to that and there's you know more and more women and we want to see you know women involved in every part of the spectrum not just um leadership but but everywhere and then we also want to like help women actually get to leadership positions to make sure that you know different perspectives are heard and different approaches, you know, to leadership and business and, and ideas on how to move the market. So we're making progress. There's still a lot of progress to be made. There's still a lot of um, all-male all panels and conferences, and so we want to make sure that we continue to get women, you know, not just in the conference room, but also the platforms at these conferences to make sure that we have um, women's voices up there. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that, that the group is so big and that it's actually an international group. and you have to be afraid. Yeah, no, I think, and I mean, you know, you guys have Paula Gold Williams, who's obviously a rock star in general, but also the fact that, 
she's a woman and, and showing how to be a leader. And I think she does it differently too. And, and she's very good at bringing people together and inspiring. So uh, I think she's a testament alone to the need to have women, you know, at the top. And um, so I'm excited to see that. And, and like you said, I mean, with the webs group, we're not just a social group. It's like, you know, we've had women get jobs at different events and we've had, you know, like mentorships and we're trying to get, company not just companies but conferences to really think differently about how they engage um, women and we've talked to reporters and trying to change just the the narrative around EVs as well Um, and so I think the more we can get you know kind of engaged in being like more upfront about kind of the issues that we're dealing with the better yeah that's great well well yeah do you have any questions for us sorry no, I'm excited to follow part two. I think Erin should definitely bring her passport. Um, and <laughs> should <laughs> we should definitely plan a trip. And I want I would love to join you guys for part of it, um, you know, maybe an, an, on a on a next stage kind of trying different EVs. So I'm excited to follow along with you, Erin, and good luck with the rest of your trip. Thank you. Thank you for calling us and, you know, in, entertaining us after our hours <laughs> on the road. We really appreciate you know what you've done for the women in EV community and the EV community itself. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Thanks for calling. Um, We will definitely be in touch. Sounds good. We'll start an Austin chapter and also send me that meme when you make it. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have Crystal, our our meme guru, pull it together right now and I'll just even tweet it at you. Of course, you guys have a meme guru. <laughs> of course, <you> do. <laughs> All right. Bye. Big thanks to Ashley for coming on and talking with us. And of course, thanks to Aaron and Aaron for putting on a cool road trip that's taught us all a lot. By the time this airs, the road trip will have wrapped up. So you can. But if you're interested in how it went, you can search the hashtag EVAaronsTexas on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And you can find Aaron and Aaron on social media at Aaron Oten and at Aaron Hardick. They've uploaded a lot from the road trip there as well. For other research in media, you can find it, you can find our stuff at etsinsights.com at C Prime Research on social media. My name is Dylan and we'll see you all next time.